Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things book-related, author-related, my current reads, and any current events or new releases going on in the book world, anything going on in my life, and most importantly, discuss one half of our monthly book club pick, which is going to be a little bit different this month. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for sticking with me this month. So this is a bit of a wacky month. And I know in my intro, I usually say, and this is the podcast where we discuss one half of our monthly book club pick. It's funny, not really funny. um, But I started out this podcast discussing a quarter of the monthly book club pick every week. Um, And then when I realized that was most likely too much for me, which it most definitely was, I went ahead and I switched that to every two weeks, we would discuss one half of our monthly book club pick. So if you've been around since February, which is when we started this podcast, that's what it used to be, what it transformed into. And then this month we are discussing a whole book, which is an ideal, especially when the book is 625 or so pages. Um, But it's just how it's working out this month. So it's been a bit of a wacky one. But This month for November, we are discussing Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros. And if you read along with me, which I know a lot of you did, there is a lot to discuss. So I'll get into why this is, you know, so late. No one really wants to hear a sob story. There's no sob story. (laughs) There's no complaining. There's just, it was a very, very busy month. And podcasting was the one outlet that really like took the took the vast majority of me putting things off. Like I was putting other things off and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Podcasting was always the one at the very bottom. And I'm really sorry for that because I know a lot of you look forward to the bi-weekly episodes and read up to a certain point to make sure that you're caught up for the episode. And to be quite honest, I just wasn't caught up with my reading. It's a massive book, as so many of you know, that it is the only book that I read this month. And I know that some months I'll read, you know, six 300 page books or like four 300 page books or whatever. I obviously can read many more pages than just 625. 
However, this month was way busier than October was somehow. I was like, oh, I'm going to read so many books this November. I'm all set. Like there's so many new releases and book mail that I've been getting, which I'll talk about that I'm going to be totally set up for a great reading month. I'm traveling. I can read on the plane. Yeah, all of that went to the wayside. <laughs> and the only book that I've completed for November is Iron Flame. And it happens. Um, I want to talk a little bit about reading goals and how it's okay when we don't hit those and kind of what my reading goal is going to look like for 2024. Um, because I really, 2024, I think my word of the year is going to be, <laughs> we're not even in the December podcast. My word of the year for 2024 is going to be intentional. I want my reading to be really intentional. I want my wedding planning to be really intentional. And as I am making choices about my life and, you know, what credit card debt to pay off, what workout classes I want to do, I want to do it from a, coming from a place of like my intentions are really good and I want to make really good intentional decisions. And that goes along with my reading goal. I am going off any extreme tangent. I'm going to crack open a seltzer and we're going to get into what November has looked like for me, why I'm hoping to the few books I am not putting any pressure on myself to read for the rest of the year because I know December if we thought October was busy November was busier and if we thought November and if we thought November was busy December is going to be even busier than November so no pressure but I do have a few books that are on my radar that I really 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 would like to read before the end of 2023 to set me up for a good 2024. A lot of you know that I traveled for work and for some reason that took up like half of my November. So starting off, we went to Montreal. The last time we spoke was my engagement episode, which is incredible. So it's been a month and a week of me being engaged. It's fantastic. And you know, if you have ever gotten married or gotten engaged or have had some sort of a big life event where people like want to celebrate you, you know that you're busy. So we got engaged and then everyone wants to go out to dinner and go to drinks. And that's amazing. And I have been loving it. I have loved seeing friends new and old throughout this time. It has been so awesome. But truly, like at the end of my day, I have just been turning to reality TV or going on TikTok and doom scrolling because my mind is just so like tapped out from both social and work stuff. So then we went to Montreal with our best friends at the very beginning of the month, which was incredible. I don't know if any of you have been to Montreal or if any of you even like live in or near Montreal. I had been once in 2020 before, you know, the pandemic, I think we went in like end of January um, and had the best time. And this was also just so much fun. So much amazing food. We did a dining in the dark experience, which was really cool. Loved that. Um, and just had a blast shopping and exploring with our friends. That was amazing. And then it was pretty much gearing up for my big work event in Las Vegas. So work really kicked up. There was just a lot to go into. So for my job, part of it, I'm a content manager for a local company, but we're um, a financial company that holds events for accounts payable and accounts receivable professionals. And we also have an online presence in the form of a website and digital certifications and things like that. So I'm 
I dabble in it all. Um, and I kind of help act as a sort of like project manager for all these things. But one of my biggest events of the year, um, or two of the biggest events of the year are our two big events that we host. So this one was in Las Vegas this past a couple weeks ago now. And which is so crazy that it has been two weeks since the event. Like it feels like I was just in Las Vegas. It's I'm like literally still recovering from it all. Um, so we were in Las Vegas for like five days. It was amazing. It was so much fun. I'm really thankful that I really love my coworkers. That helps a lot. If you don't like your coworkers and you travel with them as much as I do, it can be, it could be, I'm sure, a nightmare. For me, it was really fun. We got to go see a Cirque du Soleil show and there was a lot of, you know, fun parties and stuff we got to go do while also hosting this massive event. So that was fun. It took up a lot of my energy and I actually did bring Iron Flame on the plane with me. And had all the intentions of at least getting to the halfway point um, because the episode was supposed to go live two weeks ago um, and didn't read, did not read it, did not even pick it up again until like a few days after I got home. And then that was Thanksgiving, <laughs> like went right into like Wednesday, you know, getting ready for Thanksgiving, then Thanksgiving and then Black Friday. And then, and now here we are. Here we are, Monday, November 27th, when episode two should be releasing for the podcast. Um, but we're we're doing a big old episode and we're releasing both halves. And here's why I think that that's okay. <laughs> because it has to be, number one, because that's just what we're doing. And I'm sticking to my goal of at least producing a singular episode based on Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros. But I think it's cool because as many of you know, if you've listened to the podcast and have been a part of the book club for a while... We go chapter by chapter. That's one of the biggest things um, that we do. And I did, for the most part, take notes chapter by chapter or in the chapter chunks that sometimes I do. And now going to the end and having read the ending, which is wild, that ending was insane, um, as hopefully all of you know at this point, it'll be interesting to see if I pick up on little things that I wrote about, like, um, throughout the chapters that could help us sort of figure out what book three is going to be about because I am I have so many thoughts about Iron Flame like I loved it and I hated it at the same time and I know that so many of you felt that way it was a slog to get through for me I really struggled to pick it up I felt like it could have used at least another round of editing probably 200 pages shaved off um, and I really really struggled with the length but anyway Loved it and hated it. I think that the chapter by chapter synopsis we're going to do in a few minutes here is going to be really beneficial to us. And I've also been talking to some of you in my DMs. Um, I finished it last night. And I've also been reading and watching a lot of interviews with Rebecca Yaros that I think um, are going to help my sort of sleuthing as we go into that ending because there's a lot to unpack and a lot to discuss. But I do want to get into a little bit about what I'm hoping to read for the end of 2023 and book of the month choices for December, because all of that has also come out literally today. Things are popping off in the book world like this is a big book moment. So I want to get into all of that as well. So first, let's get into December book of the month choices. And I am disappointed again. So if you guys know, I actually, sorry about that. I actually skipped last month because I was really disappointed with the choices. And I didn't skip this month because it's my birthday month. So I wanted to get my free add-on, which I did. But I'm just, I'm disappointed. 
So for December, the first book that we have is A Winter in New York by Josie Silver. She's a three-peat author. Many people know Josie Silver. She wrote One Day in December. Um, hated that book. I really, really hated it. I think I read that two years ago for Christmas. And it made me like swear off holiday books. Now I talked about this a little bit on my Instagram at Grease's Reading Nook. If you're not following that, I'm sure like 99.9% .9 of you are. But if you are not, that's what this podcast is really attached to. So be sure to be following me over there. But I talked about this today on my Instagram, actually, that I am not a holiday book reader. Um, I love a winter read. I do tend to try to seasonally read. Um, but I am definitely just a mood reader in general. Um, but I feel like reading one day in December really turned me off from holiday reads. And I truly haven't read one since. Um, really didn't like it. So this was not even an option for me to choose because I know I'm not going to read it. It's not not only do I not like a holiday read, which is crazy. I'm not like a Scrooge or anything. Like I love holiday movies. I love decorating for Christmas. I love it all. But I think for me, finding like an escape in reading is great. Um, I don't maybe I don't want to just be constantly it's all Christmas 24 seven from, you know, middle of November until the end of this December. Anyway, I wouldn't have picked this up anyway. But there's also just such a short shelf life when it comes to holiday reads. And I know myself, I do not read my book of the month, typically the month that I buy them. If I do, that's amazing snaps for me. But it's been a really rare that I do that. So short shelf life, don't love Josie Silver and don't love a holiday read. So this was not for me. If you like those sorts of things, book of the month says that this delicious rom-com has all the right ingredients, secret family recipes, holiday vibes and a big pinch of love. And it also says it's salacious. So there might be some spice in there, which is cool. This was one that was interesting to me. The next pick is a fantasy called The Kingdom of Sweets by Erica Johansson. And it says, buckle up for a dark and strange ride. This wicked rewrite of the Nutcracker has a couple surprises up its sleeves. That one sounded really interesting to me. But again, the short shelf life, me not really like enjoying the, the holiday read of it all. Um... And I love the Nutcracker. And I don't know if I want a dark take on it. My mom and I go see the Nutcracker every year. This is actually our 10th year going. Um, and we're going this upcoming Saturday. So if you're into that, that's amazing. It does sound good. It says it's creepy based on a classic unsettling and that it includes siblings, which of course the Nutcracker does. Then we have a thriller called No One Can Know by Kate Alice Marshall. This one almost swayed me. Um, she wrote What Lies in the Woods, and that was one that I picked up this year as well. I own What Lies in the Woods, and what deterred me from picking up this one is because I haven't read What Lies in the Woods. So I felt like it was silly of me to pick up another book by this author without even really knowing if I liked her writing style, but it did sound really good. Um, I'll give you a little bit of the synopsis. It says, Emma hasn't told her husband much about her past. He knows her parents are dead and she hasn't spoken to her sisters in years. Then they lose their apartment. Her husband gets laid off and Emma discovers she's pregnant right as the bank account slips into the red. That's when Emma confesses that she has one more asset, her parents' house, which she owns jointly with her estranged sisters. They can't sell it, but they can live in it. But returning home means that Emma is forced to reveal her secrets to her husband, that the house is not a a rundown farmhouse but a stately mansion and that her parents died there were murdered and that some people say emma did it 
Emma and her sisters have never spoken about what really happened that night. Now her return to the house may lure her sisters back, but it will also crack open family and small town secrets lots of people don't want revealed. As Emma struggles to reconnect with her old family and hold together her new one, she begins to realize that the things that have left unspoken all these years have put them in danger again. So yeah, that sounds really good and probably would have been the one that I chose because I haven't read a really good thriller in a while. Um, I'll talk about that in a bit, but I think my, one of my next reads is going to be My Darling Girl by Jennifer McMahon, which I know I'm the, like such a hypocrite because I know that's technically in the Christmas realm, but whatever. I would have picked that up if I had read What Lies in the Woods and I enjoyed her writing style. So something to think about. The next one is The Storm We Made by Vanessa Chan, historical fiction debut. And this says it's part family drama, part war epic. This harrowing, emotionally riveting debut depicts the havoc wreaked in World War II Malaya. Um, it's a non-linear timeline, multiple viewpoints. It sounds good, but I'm just, I'm not in the mood for historical fiction if it's not The Women by Kristen Hanna. Spoiler alert. Someone listen to my prayers. Someone listened to my prayers and my voice on this podcast. I literally think, if not the last episode, two episodes ago, sometime recently, I was like, anyone who has any sway in this, please, please message the people who published the women and have them send me a copy. I got an advanced reader copy of the women by Kristen Hanna and I am just, I have no words. I have no words. Merry Christmas to me. I am so excited and that's also on my list to read um, coming up right now. But anyway, if it's not the women, probably I don't want to read it if it's historical fiction right now. That's just a me problem. The book that I did pick is my book of the month for December was a really kind of a strange one for me. The cover is stunning though. It's called Tomb Sweeping by Alexandra Chang and it's a collection of short stories and it says brimming with warmth and vibrancy. This beautiful debut collection of stories asks sharp questions about modern life. So this is sounding good to me um, and let me read you the synopsis and it might be one that helps me kind of out of the reading slump that I'm in. It says compelling and perceptive, tomb sweeping probes the loyalties we hold to relatives, to strangers, and to ourselves. In stories set across the US and Asia, Alexandra Chang immerses us in the lives of immigrant families, grocery store employees, expecting parents, and guileless lab assistants. A woman known only to her neighbors as the Asian recycling lady collects bottles from the street she calls home. A young college grad ponders the void left from a broken friendship. An unfulfilled housewife in Shanghai finds a secret outlet for her ambitions in an undercover gambling den. Two strangers become something more through the bond of mistaken identity. These characters, adeptly attuned to the mystery of living, invite us to consider whether it is possible for anyone to entirely do right by another. Tomb sweeping brims with remarkable skill and talent in every story, keeping a definitive pulse on lost community and what it means to feel fully alive. Sounds really good. I love a short story like that. I love multiple sorts of like little stories that all come together. I think I'm going to like it. And I think it would be a really good one to read in December because it's easy to get through. Um, seems like a quick read. So I got that one. And then for my add-on, um, I got one that not many people are talking about, but there's a lot of great add-ons for you to choose from. I got While You Were Out by Meg Kissinger. Um, it sounds really good. It's a memoir and it's an intimate family portrait of mental illness in one era, in an era of silence. Um, sounds really good. And let me read you the synopsis. It sounds right up my alley. 
Um, it says, growing up in the 1960s in the suburbs of Chicago, Meg Kissinger's family seemed to live a charmed life. With eight kids and two loving parents, the Kissingers radiated a warmth a warm, boisterous energy. Whether they were spending summer days on the shores of Lake Michigan, barreling down the ski slopes, or navigating the trials of their Catholic school, the Kissingers always knew how to live large and play hard. But behind closed doors, a harsher reality was unfolding. A heavily medicated mother hospitalized for anxiety and depression, a manic father prone to violence, and children in the throes of bipolar disorder and depression, two of whom would take their own lives. Through it all, the Kissingers face the world with their signature dark humor and the unspoken family rule, never talk about it. Um, just sounds really good. I'm really into that sort of like deep dive into mental illness and like family struggles with addiction. Um, I think it's really interesting and really poignant to write about and I'm really, really excited to read it. So we have a lot of great add-ons though going on this month. So starting with the mystery guest by Nita Prose, I was very, the ARC gods have really blessed me this month. I was very, very lucky enough to receive an advanced reader copy of the mystery guest by Nita Prose. I loved The Maid by Nita Prose. I read that at the beginning of 2022, thought it was amazing. And this is an add-on. So it's going to be the sequel to The Maid that so many people loved that compared it to Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine, which I have yet to read, but I've heard great things and do want to read. Um, so that one, if you love The Maid, that's an add-on for this month. Um, I've heard The Other Mothers by Catherine Faulkner is really good. I've heard really great things about The Frozen River by Ariel Lahorn. I almost, or sorry, Lahon, Lahon, probably Lahon. Um, I've heard great things about Paige Toon as an author. There's a new Allie Hazelwood book. And I also almost picked up Alice Sadie Celine. Um, so just lots of really good books out there this month. And I would highly recommend checking out Book of the Month. If you are not a subscriber already, Book of the Month allows you to get a new release or even an advanced release of of books on all different genres, as you just heard me talk about for the month. And if you are new, you can head to my Instagram, Grace's Reading Nook, click the link to access my link tree in my bio, and then get your first book on one of those top links for just $5. And then monthly, it's going to be $16.99. And any add on that you get is $10.99. Additionally, it's a really good deal for a brand new hardcover book. And I really, really look forward to book of the month every single month. This is not sponsored, but I would love it to be one day and you never know. Book of the month is amazing. And I would highly recommend checking it out if you haven't already. All right. Now, speaking about books that I want to read pretty much for the rest of the year, I've already talked about a couple. So The Women by Kristen Hanna. I'm also currently in the middle of The Last Devil to Die by Richard Osman, which is the fourth book in the Thursday Murder Club series. And Iron Flame, as we all know, took up the vast majority of my attention for November. But that's the book that I'm going to be picking up and finishing here, hopefully in the next few days. I've also just been incredibly lucky to receive so many arcs. So the mystery guest is right at the top of my list as well. Only If You're Lucky by Stacey Willingham. Sounds like a dark academia dream that I'm really, really excited about. My Darling Girl by Jennifer McMahon, which is that Christmassy type thriller that I talked about, mostly just set at Christmas, not really having any Christmas vibes other than that. And then I also picked up Murder in the Family by Kara Hunter in the airport, which is that thriller that is all told through like newspaper clippings and um, resumes and email correspondences and things like that. So that's at the top of my list. 
But if you know anything about me, we know that I am a mood reader. So I will be reading whatever strikes my fancy and whatever I can. Right now, I have read 49 books this year, which for me is pretty low. I'm hoping to get to 55. I think I read 62 last year. But it's been a bit of a busier year in general. So it's not surprising to me that I didn't read as many. For now, I'm hoping to finish The Last Devil to Die by Richard Osman and then move on to some of those amazing choices that I can't wait to talk about. And if you missed um, the episode over a month ago now or about a month ago, um, we are not having a December book club pick for very clear reasons. It's very busy right now. Um, If I couldn't hold up to my side of the bargain for November, I think it's going to be even harder to do so in December. But I will be posting one or two episodes and I'll be talking about that a lot more on my Instagram. So be sure to be following me there. I want to do a recap episode of all the book club books that we read this year. And I want to have you all vote on them so we can talk about like our go from 11. I think we read 11 this year. So we can go all the way from 11. What was our least favorite up to what we all decided was our favorite. I think that would be really fun. Then I also want to do an episode maybe like 2023 in review in general, not just book club, talking about my favorite reads for each month and then looking to 2024 and what sorts of new releases there are to start out your year. So there's a lot to talk about. Also, we have to talk about our January book club book. So lots going on, lots to discuss, and that's all coming in December. For now, I think that's all I want to talk about. We have a lot to discuss with Fourth Wing. So I say let's just get into it. As always, this is going to contain the most spoilers you've ever heard in your entire life for Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros. So if you haven't finished it yet, please stop listening, finish the book, and then come back to this episode when you have finished it. So I'll talk about my final thoughts in the end. Um, and I pretty much just want to get into how the book started with chapter one. And I have chapter chapter by chapter notes, as always. Um, this is going to be good for us. If you finished it a while ago, it's kind of a good recap. And I think in general, I'm excited to read my notes back chapter through chapter. Because like I said, there might be some things that I go back on and I'm like, oh my god, wait. Is that what Violet's second signet is going to be? Is that why Zayden was acting so weird? Is that why Andarna was taking so long to hatch, not hatch, but to grow? Um, all of that. So there's just a lot to unpack here. So chapter one, I said, okay, and we're back. I find it hard to put into words what I'm understanding and feeling towards fantasy novels. And I've really only read Fourth Wing, like I mentioned in the past. It takes a lot of effort for me to digest what I'm reading. So maybe talking it out for the podcast chapter by chapter will help. So Violet is reunited with Brennan and she is shocked that he is alive. She's even more shocked that Zayden kept that secret from her. As to- uh, Just really fast. I know that recently Rebecca Yaros has gotten into some heat for mispronouncing the Gallic um phrases and the words and the names in this book. And I'm really, really sorry that I'm probably also going to butcher them. Um, I do wish she had done more research and gotten a dialect coach before writing these books, obviously, especially if we're going to be using these names and these words. Um, I'm really sorry if I mispronounced them, but I hope I think as I put this as an option for November, um, I told you guys it was going to be very, very difficult for me to pronounce these words and you guys were okay with it. So just a warning, how I pronounce them throughout this episode is how I pronounce them. And I'm really, really sorry if that's super annoying to you all. As Taryn weighs in in his in her thoughts, she knows he was only doing it to protect her, um, but her heart still won't forget the betrayal, despite the fact that she is in love with him. They're in um, 
They're in Zayden's house that she didn't even know existed or thought had been destroyed, I think. And now these creatures called Venons that she thought were made up are completely real in the main threat against their livelihood. I think I meant Wavern. I've been saying Wavern. <laughs> I'm sure that's wrong. Her mother, the commanding general, knows about them, but from what I remember and I'm gathering, isn't warning the people of the valley. The rebellion that Zayden leads is trying to take down the venom and the commanding general, right? Please, at any point, if you're listening, if you think I am seriously off base, message me on Insta right away because this genre is so new to me. I think I have a lot of it right here, but it did take me a lot to understand what was going on in these early chapters. Some of the members of Zayden's council wanted to keep Violet as a prisoner there because she was too powerful and it was also too risky because she's the general's daughter. Brennan makes the good point that he is her son, but they counter that they've had years to gain his trust. However, Zayden says that Violet is his to protect, which we learn more about later, um, love that, and that he will take care of her and ensure that he trusts her. From what I gather, they're all going to go back to Bazgiath to finish out the final war games and ensure that everyone knows they're okay and that nothing is going on with them, say, like joining a revolution. Okay, chapter one is done and I feel like we can do this. <laughs> chapter two, I said lots to unpack. First, I want to correct something I said wrong from chapter one. What did I say that was wrong? Brennan and Zayden don't think Violet should go back to Basgiath for a few reasons. First and foremost, because Dane can read her thoughts. That's right. And if he finds out that and if he finds out about the revolution and that Violet is a part of it, Navari will most likely have her executed. Violet ensures that her mother would never execute her after seeing the grief that she went through with Brennan, but no one else is convinced, including me. Navari knows about the venom and they refuse to do anything about it because they are cowards who believe their wards will do enough when clearly they won't. But Violet believes that if they don't return, anyone marked with a rebellion symbol will be executed, which is also very possible. Additionally, Violet doesn't think her mother had anything to do with the planning of the war games this year, but I have a feeling she might have. In the end, they decide that Violet will go back to Bezgaiath and Zayden will keep an eye on Violet and ensure that Dane never lays a hand on her. Then we have Andarna, who is no longer a cute, sweet little gold dragon. By stopping time, she has aged rapidly and is now a feisty teenager who is growing to be a huge black dragon similar to Taryn, but not related. Brennan is very scared for Violet to return, but he needs to stay back with the council. We learn that Mira has no idea her brother is alive, and I wonder how Violet is going to feel with holding that secret from her. Violet is even already teaching Brennan some things that he that she remembers from her dad's book, like Wyvern are made from venom. She wonders if her dad had a hand in rewriting history and thus wiping things away are pivotal to keeping society safe, but Brennan chooses to believe he did not. Chapter three, I said I am fully all in again, and I think all it took was a little banter between Violet and Zayden and reading about his sexy smirks, and I think we can all agree. They get back to Bezgaiath and are thankfully not all arrested upon upon entering, which was a possibility. Instead, they get back to Basquiat and are thankfully not all arrested upon entering, which was a possibility. Instead, everyone pretty much just thought they all had died. Zayden and Violet go into Liam's room to grab the letters from under his mattress as they know that all of his things are going to be burned shortly because of his death. They run into Rhiannon and her boyfriend, who I'm now forgetting his name, which is a very common theme, and they tell them all that Liam has died and Rhiannon takes the letters. 
Then the squad arrives for graduation, and as Zayden's name is called, as someone who died, he steps forward, and this begins their lies. Violet's mother is clearly happy to see that she's alive, though she doesn't show much emotion, which is very typical of her. It is clear that Dane's father, Colonel Eidos, was behind it all and most likely wanted them all dead. Was Dean involved in that? And did he know what he was sending them into? Does he know more than he's saying? Violet is sure her mother knew nothing of it, but I am not entirely convinced of that. Or is it possible that her mother knows about the revolution and just isn't saying anything? Or is she just a true villain? They tell the council that they stopped to let the dragons rest in Abathine, and when they did, they were attacked by griffins that killed Liam and Soleil and someone else who I'm now forgetting, <laughs> though they may have just been referring to Liam's dragon. Captain Sorgale believes it and cannot believe that Eidos would put a squad in that position and leave a land like Abathine depleted. Satan graduates from his third year at Basgiath and is given the orders to go somewhere to fight, though we know because Taren and Seagull are mated that Violet and him will have to see each other every week or so. We also see Dane running to Violet, happy that she's alive, but her saying that he's never allowed to touch her again, and Zayden basically telling the whole college that they are together now. Now, Violet and the other four remaining first years in her squad that started out as 11 are second years. Chapters five and six. I really loved the party chapter. So much fun getting to see everyone let loose a little bit. But the real info we get is that Eidos has assigned Zayden to the South Wing, which is in the front lines of battle, and that under his command, they'll only be able to see each other every seven days. Right now, Taryn and Sagal, they basically can't go long without seeing each other without getting agitated. So it looks like they'll have to be breaking some rules. Then Atos basically threatens their lives and they t if they tell anyone what actually happened during the war games and that secrets can kill. If that wasn't enough, he also threatens Mira's life. We have some steamy enemies to lovers type tension between Violet and Zayden before he leaves. And at the end, we learn that, of course, Dane is replacing Zayden as their squad's leader. But second in command is Rhiannon, which is fantastic for everyone, including Violet. But I just don't know how she's going to avoid Dane. Chapter seven, I said, OK, so I'm aware I'm not 100% sure of the order of things in the lands and all of that. Basgiath is the war college and they're all in Navarre. But is the land called Arisha and the council that lords over the dragons is the Empyrean? If I'm wrong, please, for the love of God, let me know. Still not 100% sure I'm right. I know that the god that lords over the dragons is the Empyrean and I believe they're all in Arisha. But I got really, really confused. And I know there's a map at the beginning of the book and I probably could have just looked, but there is just so much going on. <laughs> Violet and her other second year friends go into their first class, the RSC, and learn that they're basically going to be tortured so that they'll learn what to do if they're ever separated from their dragons and if they're ever captured. And Darna has entered her deep sleep, so now Violet is only connected to Taryn for a bit. Then she goes to the archives and meets with Jacinia, and she gives her a book about how Basgaiath was formed. Also, I don't know if I'm 100% trusting Nadine. She's the one who came into RSC class with her hand bandaged, right? It seems like maybe she's hiding something just from those couple of sentences, and I'm pretty good at picking out this sort of thing. I'm personally so excited for the first years to arrive, so I'm just waiting for that. To be completely honest, you guys, like, I am... I don't remember who Nadine is. And I saw a few other people on both Bookstagram, BookTok, and even Goodreads talk about this, but I really, really could have used a character cheat sheet because I got so lost with the secondary characters in this book. Like, obviously, we know Rhiannon, we know, you know, 
Imogen, we know Zayden, we know, I don't, I truly can't even picture who Riddick is. And I know that's insane, but there's just a lot of secondary characters that really, really confused me that I really could have used a, um, a cheat sheet and let me know if you could have as well. Chapter eight, I said, what a chapter. Most importantly, Liam's sister has entered the rider's quadrant and she hates Violet and blames her for his death and claims she knows the truth. I absolutely love this twist and I see a very deep bond about to form between the two of them. 70 riders died on the parapet and I loved how my mind immediately was able to picture what I pictured as a parapet back in fourth wing. Of course, as assignments come, Sloane, Liam's sister, is assigned to Violet's squad. There's also another guy assigned that both Violet and Dane know. He's related to a king or something, but I can't remember his name. <laughs> Funny. The real crazy part in this chapter comes when Captain Varish, who is one of the new captains, his orange dragon comes in with a group of dragons to show off to the new riders. Obviously, some of the riders are scared when they see the dragons and, and without knowing what will happen, they start to run. The big orange dragon not only scorches them, but also um, members of Fourth Wing who had done nothing wrong and were instead just caught in a crossfire, literally. I have a feeling Varish and the dragon are going to cause nothing but many problems for Violet and the gang, and I would be right. Chapter nine, we have a lot of tension in this chapter growing between Violet and Rhiannon because Violet has to keep so many secrets from her. She goes running with Imogen, which is something Rhiannon knows she typically wouldn't be doing. They have class and the head scribe. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but the one who was Violet's favorite because she learned that he was writing the history books himself and single-handedly changing the history of Navarre so that it suits the council's cowardice, lets them know that there were two Griffin attacks in the last two days. Also, we learned that Zayden was supposed to show up yesterday, but he didn't, which is making Violet very uneasy and for good reason, because she can't face lying to Rhiannon. Then as they're fighting and practicing on the mats, Re actually brings up the point that I made before that she thinks something is going on with the healers. That would explain the weirdness with that girl's hand, Nadine. The final paragraph leads us with the worst news and the first hard death. The first year who threw the red-haired boy off the parapet approaches Violet and Nadine and she shows that she has a second hand patch on his shoulder. Nadine pretends to be Violet and he snaps her neck. Oh, right. I forgot about that. So what I was saying there, if you couldn't understand, because I couldn't understand from my notes, the guy, the first year who threw that redheaded boy off the parapet went in and Nadine went into the fighting area. <laughs> the I don't remember what it's called, like the mat area. And Nadine was like, hi, I'm Violet. And he snapped her neck. So that was pretty intense. In chapter 10, Eidos sent him to, we learned that Eidos sent that boy in to assassinate Violet. He's already getting this ruthless and the book has just begun and I can't even imagine what's to come. When he learns he killed Nadine and not Violet, a vicious battle ensues, and while Violet was strangled, she still manages to kill him. She's clearly shaken. When she gets back to her dorm that night, Zayden is there, and it is truly perfect timing. He makes her eat, and I thought we might get some spice, but we don't because Violet still has her walls up from him. She's going to Samara next, and I'm hoping she may be able to let her guards down there. Um, in the meantime, he wrote her a letter that I was hoping to read but never came up again. This miscommunication between Zayden and Violet was really, really frustrating for me. And I watched an interview with Rebecca Yaros about sort of like all the choices she made when writing these characters this time around. And we have to remember that they are in their early 20s and miscommunication is rampant in your early 20s. You don't know the decisions you're making. You don't know even the thoughts you're having, anything like that. So it's very obvious why there's miscommunication, but it really, really was starting to piss me off that they weren't just like, yep, we love each other. Let's move on. 
Chapter 11, I said there are lots of subtle hints in this in context in this chapter. So I have a few small notes to take note of here. So we don't get to read Zayden's letter, but apparently it contains a lot of content about him and him alone. Nothing about the revolution or secrets and exactly what Violet needs. We also learn that it seems like nothing is going on with the scribes and Jacinia. She goes to give Violet an archive, but she learns that she's got another writer in trouble by lending him a book, but we aren't told what it is. Mira writes Violet a letter that has been redacted, which is screaming, Varish, or Atos. We also learn that Violet's father did extensive research on the specific gold dragon that Andarna is. Is it a coincidence that they're bonded or did her dad somehow have involvement in that? Okay, first time I'm coming back in as myself with that note. Do we think that Violet's dad is potentially Venon? And that Andarna is like half Venon or half Griffin, half dragon. I think that that's very, very possible. And especially because I said that. So we learned that her dad was doing research into that. And maybe that's why Andarna waited so long to bond because she knew that Violet herself is half Venon. That's just something that I really, really believe. I feel like that's a really strong theory and I'm really into it. Then Violet is on the way to see Zayden finally and reunite Taryn and Sagal. And Bodhi lets out that Zayden never even acted this way about Catriona. Who is Catriona? I'm sure we're going to learn, but of course, I'm very intrigued. Then, of course, Varish is there to ruin the day again by searching Violet's bag before her and Taryn finally take flight. That is it, I said, for my first night of reading, and I'm about a third of the way through our chunk for the first podcast. Okay, that didn't happen. And let me just say, I am so all in and intrigued. It is honestly annoying me to have to stop and even take notes between chapters because I just want to power through. But at the same time, it's really helping me absorb all that is going on and process everything. Like I mentioned, please let me know if I'm off base about anything. Things to note, there are some funky things going on with both the scribes and the healers, and I'm sure that has something to do with Varish or the council. I don't like how the cut on that girl's hand was just shoved off as nothing, and Jacenia was very worried about getting people in trouble by just doing her job and recording what books people take out. I am dying for Violet to officially take Zayden back, and I'm sure we will get some spicy scenes shortly, maybe even in the next chunk. I'm also very excited to hear more about the relationship between Violet and Sloane. Chapter 12, we have our very first spicy scene of the book, and I loved that it came earlier than in Fourth Wing. Violet and Zayden's chemistry is seriously unmatched, and I love how bold it is. I also love and partially loathe that Zayden is asking Violet to only kiss him if she's willing to fall in love with him again, or at least say the words, I love you. He's wanting something more than sex and lust this time around, and I have a feeling Violet is going to cave pretty quickly. Chapter 13, Violet nearly dies when Varish makes her use her signet to wield lightning many, many times. All for punishment because Andarna didn't show up for flight maneuver when she was literally sleeping. Because she has to. But is that because they don't know that she's turning into the new black dragon? Either way, what Varish did is incredibly cruel and he is obviously the worst. As she recovers, Violet and Imogen watch Sloane fighting and realizes that she is way in over her head before a cliffhanger ending where Violet gets a bag thrown over her head. In one note, is it just me or is there a slight flirtation with Bodhi? Do you think anything will come of that because Zayden is gone or am I imagining things? Chapters 14 and 15. So it wasn't an attempt to assassinate Violet, but rather their first test in RSC. So all of them were taken. They were basically thrown into the woods to see how they would fare. And in short, they didn't do well. <laughs> they also drank a potion of sorts that made them lose connection to their dragons, which was so hard for them. 
All of it was very scary and full of adventure, but unfortunately during it, Violet missed Zayden's visit and will now have to wait a whole week to see him. Chapter 16. We have a couple of deals made. First, Jesenia and Violet will be working together to get each other the books they want and need. Violet needs to learn more about the wards and why they were placed where they are. I'm not 100% sure what Jesenia is after, but I do think that I trust her. Am I naive for thinking that? Maybe. But she didn't report Violet last year, so maybe she really won't this year. And then Violet helps Sloane win a match, and Sloane reluctantly agrees to be taught by Imogen how to fight better in exchange for one of Liam's letters every week, which now makes sense why they stole them in the first place. Varish is annoying as ever as Violet goes to leave for Samara, and she realizes that Satan has duty at the operation center and that she most likely won't see him again this trip. Unreal. Chapter 17. Is it just me or is Imogen acting a little too nice? I have a feeling she may have bad intentions and may be playing both sides, but we'll have to see. I was wrong about that, obviously. Rhiannon got a note from her family that says to stay safe and not welcome anyone into their home. So there is danger at the borders. Of course, Professor Markham shifts it and make it seem like not a big deal, which makes Violet think it's an even bigger deal. She needs to figure out how the wards work so she can protect the borders. In chapter 18, Violet and Zayden finally get some time together, but it unfortunately is filled with anger. Zayden finds out that she's trusting Jesenia to get her books to figure out how the wards were created, all to keep him safe, because Riorson House and that area is not protected. He doesn't believe they can trust anyone and doesn't want her jumping through all of these hoops for him. Chapter 19, I said just a quick note here. How amazing was it when Taryn bit into Solace's neck so hard that Varish has to get on his knees and apologize to Violet? I loved that so much. And Violet was able to open up to Re a bit about her feelings. In chapter 20, Violet finally reunited with Mira and it was bittersweet because she had so much she wanted to tell her and so much that she couldn't. She almost broke just so she could be fully honest with someone in her life, but she didn't. I don't know how to feel about Mira. Even though she loves her sister, is it possible she would rat her out for talking about the Wyvern? I am a little nervous about it. And they're going to be spending a lot more time together because she's stationed at Samara with Zayden. Chapter 20 note, Side note, I took a long reading hiatus between chapters 20 and 21 for my travel to Vegas, but now I am back. And to start, there's been an attack and Mason is dead and the attack pulled over half the staff away from the college. In class, they talked about the wards and why they have them and what they lose by having them. Then on the mat, Dane forces Violet into a match just so that they can talk. Do we think he's going to be able to convince Violet to be on his side again? I have a feeling that may happen, but I'm not sure. He says that Violet's own mother was the one who lashed Zayden's back, and that's why he has all those scars. I need to know more about that. Then we learn that Eric, the king's son, knows what's going on with the rebellion and the wards, and that's the reason why he's there fighting. Chapters 22, 23, 24, and 25, we have our first interrogation. Violet is captured from her weekend away with Zayden and is put in a room with her other fourth wing second years to start the process. It starts off pretty normal with each of them telling each other a secret they'll have to protect the whole way through. Violet obviously has a lot to choose from, obviously, but most will kill her. So she chooses to say that the Paromish are being killed over their border. The fourth wing crew does not break and they hold their ground throughout the interrogation, even when Barish brings in Dane to try to get Violet to break because he knows why Violet cannot be around him anymore. 
Dane does something good for once and says he won't participate when Violet isn't even well enough to be in interrogation because of her sling. The team gets out and they earn a patch for it. Then in chapter 25, we finally learn why Nolan has been so busy this month. And it's something I never would have guessed. He was bringing back Jack Harlow to life. Not Jack Harlow, <laughs> Jack Barlow, but interesting. Um, and I'm sure this is all because Varish told him to and that he is absolutely going to be out to get Violet again. Yeah. Chapter 26, and there was an attack at Samara and most likely Zayden is hurt. OMG. <laughs> chapter 27, the spice we all needed. Wow enough said. Chapters 28 and 29, we finally learn a bit more about Catriona, Zayden's ex, but not enough. She is a griffin rider and clearly very jealous of Violet. Then Violet goes back to Basquiath, and of course, Varish is right outside of her room waiting to punish her. But Ree sees and takes the dagger from inside Zayden's flight jacket, and because of that, Violet tells her everything. There is so much more to even say and write, but I said I cannot physically write everything down because I just want to keep reading. Chapters 30 and 31. So Violet tells the gang everything and they aren't even close to as mad as they thought she would be, more hurt that she didn't tell them in the first place. And I'm going to be honest, this whole ward thing is getting very confusing to me. I understand it at a basic level, but is it getting a little convoluted to anyone else? I miss the simplicity of the last book and the milestones of the first years. Then, as Violet goes to take on her duty with Aya, they get attacked. Aya dies, so the number of people who were there at their war games continues to go down. Violet narrowly escapes when she is saved by Jack. Are we trusting him? He says he's a new and nicer person because he met Malik and now feels like he had a second chance, but I feel like that's just a joke he's playing. Up to chapter 36. Wow, lots happened, and chapter 35 was really good really good. So they all got to go to the archives to steal the king's journal to figure out how the wards were created. They do it and even get out, but then Nolan finds Violet and realizes what she's done and he gives her a potion that puts her to sleep. I knew we couldn't trust Nolan. She wakes up and Varish begins hurting her, really hurting her, to find out why she took the journals and why she wants to know about the wards. He knows about the rebellion, but does he actually think they're out to get them? Or is he afraid of their power and know that they know the truth about the Wyvern? Either way, he calls Dane in to help him, and Dane ends up killing Varish, well, actually, Violet does, but and Nora, and saving Violet, which is huge and totally Gale energy from the Hunger Games. I knew Dane would come around, and that is it for right now. So that was up to the halfway point, and I shared my thoughts with that. In full transparency, I am 100% going to continue reading right now as soon as these notes are done. So I'm enjoying it so far, but not as much as book one. Fourth Wing just seemed a lot more straightforward and had a lot more plot points driving it forward. There was also a lot more romance and tension, and I loved all the interactions with the dragons. And because Zayden is stationed so far away, unfortunately, we lose so much of that. And I will say it is dragging quite a bit. Clearly, because this episode is out so late... <laughs> much later than even I thought. It has been taking me a while to get to the halfway mark. I'm just not dying to pick it up. And honestly, it's making me dread reading a bit, which I know is a bit harsh, but it's true. I just feel like there's a lot of fluff and not enough action. I mean, this book is 600 pages. I feel like a lot could have been taken out and I still stand by that. Regardless, I am enjoying it and I'm excited to see where it goes. What is going on with Andarna? I'm thinking she's growing to be even bigger and more powerful than Tern. Is Varish really dead? Will Mira learn that Brennan is alive? What is going to happen with the rebellion? And will Violet tell Zayden that she loves him? And that was up to chapter 36. And now we're going to read my notes on chapter 36 to the end. Long episode today, you guys. All right. So chapter 36. 
And I said, clearly I made a mistake by not having us read up to part two for the first episode, but I had no idea when that would be. So lots going on in chapter 36 here. Zayden comes in to get Violet. And in the end, Dane is on the other is on their side of the rebellion based on the memories of Violet's that he saw. They kill Varish, thank God. But in the meantime, I think Zayden dropped dead Wyvern on Bezgayeth, or am I getting that wrong? Well, clearly something bad like that happened because it seems like the revolution is beginning. They see Violet's mom in the hallway and she admits to being the one that hurt Zayden and that she only let him into the quadrant if he agreed to protect Violet at all costs. Zayden and Violet both admit that they love each other. Then they tell the whole quadrant about what's going on and invite them to the to join the revolution with them. Even Prof Professor Tavera joins. And then they fly to Samara, where Violet is reunited with Brennan. Then I wrote chapters 37 through 39. We have a fantastic spicy scene that I just want more of. And we learn that because Indarna didn't have a peaceful sleep while she was growing, that her wing didn't grow how it was supposed to. And now she will fly, but will be unable to bear a rider, which is a really, really good point to take note of for that ending. It makes me think of Violet and how she can still be helpful and be an amazing writer and so powerful, but everyone underestimated her. So I have a good feeling about how Indarna will turn up. Then we learned that the captain let many riders know what was actually going on, including Mira, and gave them the chance to either stay and fight with her or to join the resistance. Like Violet, that seems a little fishy to me, but we'll have to wait and see. Regardless, Mira was reunited with Brennan and it was not peaceful. She punched him in the face, which I guess is warranted. Violet then she thought she cracked the code to unlock the wards and make one surrounding Riorsen house, but when she tried to make it work, it didn't. So now it's back to the drawing boards. And now she's headed to do something that is dangerous with some guy whose name starts with a T that of course I cannot remember. Tyrion reluctantly agreed to bring her and it looks like she's going to enlist the help of Mira. Chapters 40 through 42. I said, guys, I am officially getting tired of reading this book. It is taking me so long to get through and each day I feel like I can only read 30 pages. It is just too much. In these chapters, they travel to the Viscount's place where Zayden is already waiting for them and is mad at Violet for coming because it is dangerous. The elusive Catriona is inside and we realize the Viscount Tecaris is her uncle. They're there to get the luminary they need for the wards. Violet agrees to try to destroy a box Tecaris has from Zayden's father in exchange for the luminary. When she goes outside to try to, the box has a venom inside trying to kill her. Violet narrowly escapes death from it, as do Brennan and Mira, and now the Viscount is really indebted to her. They decide to let the Griffin Riders come train in Aretha with them just in case, and make that makes Violet very angry. That's all really confusing to me. I don't know if I was zoning out that chapter or what was going on, but even rereading my notes, like, that was very confusing. So if anyone has any insight into like anything I might have missed that's important for book three please let me know chapters 43 and 44 Violet and the gang were attacked by Wyvern on a treacherous hike trying to bond with the Griffin riders a girl named Luella died as did her Griffin she was bonded to and Riddick was hurt Chapters 45 through 48, lots went on here, most of which had to do with Kat and Violet continuing to hate each other and fight, which I enjoyed. I'm getting sick of the constant stuff with the war and the wards, and I find my eyes glazing over when it comes. But the gossip and drama I do love. On the war side, we learned that the Flyers are going to go with the Riders squad now so they can have a unified front. On the mat, Kat said some awful things to Violet about getting back with Zayden. 
But in chapter 48, maybe the best chapter of the book, Zayden proved all of that to be a lie in one of the best spicy scenes I have read. Absolutely loved it and want more romance between Violet and Zayden. Chapters 49 and 50, Violet and Dane are getting back to being friends again, and Dane is helping Violet translate a book. Is Kat going to use her powers to make Violet do something with Dane? That scares me. Frederick is helping Violet control her lightning wielding, and she's getting better. But a town close to them was taken, and now they're afraid that the bad guys are coming for them. And I just finished the book. <laughs> I didn't take notes anywhere from chapter 50 on because I was like, if I'm going to finish this book and get a podcast episode up, I just need to finish it and I'll talk about my thoughts through the end. I couldn't take notes. I am so sorry. I had to get through it. But here are some things that I want to talk to you about. Of course, this ending. So we learn that Zayden has a second signet and it's being that he is in, I wrote intrinsic, but isn't it anistic or something like that? So basically he can read not people's thoughts, but their intentions. Obviously that's a shock, but kind of sexy. Wouldn't bother me too much. Violet obviously feels betrayed again a little bit, but this specific type of signet would get him killed anywhere. So if anyone else knew about that signet, it's enough to get him killed anywhere. So obviously he really couldn't tell anyone. And the fact that he told Violet makes it really obvious that he really, really trusts her. So that's really great. And I'm really curious how all of that is going to play out with now him being part Venom, which we'll talk about shortly. I love that Indarna is the seventh species of dragon and literally waited for Violet hundreds and hundreds of years to hatch until someone like her came along. She is so cool and there is so much going on there. There is just so much to unpack, like so much more than we even know. I mentioned this earlier and I really think I'm right. I have a feeling that maybe Indarna is half griffin, half dragon, and that, um, Violet's dad was actually Venon, in that her mom, Captain Sorengale, fell in love with him despite that. And she was trying to find a cure for Venon before she died. The dad was actually looking into the specific type of dragon that Indarna is before he died. So I have a feeling that potentially Violet is half Venon, which would be really, really interesting and really cool. Captain Sorgale died putting the wards up in order to save Bezgaeth, but more importantly, her children. I know she sucks, but why was that oddly emotional? I was emotional and I really thought it was poignant um, at the beginning of the chapter when it was like, um, I will do anything to save the country or the world, but mostly my children, whatever that little part was, that was really emotional. And I know that even mostly Brendan had the, this really, really um, toxic relationship with his mother, but even he was really sad. All of the main squad lived, which is very shocking and cool. We have all of our main characters coming into book three. I did not see that coming. Of course, the biggest surprise of all was that ending that I did not see coming. Zayden has turned Venon. Did he trade his part of his soul in in order to protect Violet from the sage? Is he going to be able to find a cure? Will Violet have to save him or turn Venon herself? What if Violet is pregnant and the baby is Venon? Just saying. But wow, didn't see that coming. Is Zayden maybe going to die as a Venon? Because I'm thinking Violet's second signet is that she can speak to the dead or maybe even bring people back from the dead or even potentially communicate with Malik. 
So maybe she's able to bring him back. Like maybe he kills himself because it's the only way to come back as his true self in interviews. So I watched the Entertainment Weekly book club discussion with Rebecca Yarrow. It's about 34 minutes and I would highly, highly suggest watching it. Um, she says that Violet does have a second signet and that that will be revealed in book three. But all the clues we need to figure out about what that is are in book two. Her talking to Liam when she was in pain, her telling Malik that Zayden will not die today, but it was italicized like direct communication. That is just definitely what I'm thinking. Also, after reading some fan theories online last night and watching interviews, like I said before, I'm thinking Violet herself might be half Venom. Rebecca Yarrow said that there's a reason for Violet's silver hair. Is it something to do with her being Venom? Because like Andarna, something like that, I don't know. I saw someone say that maybe Violet's dad turned Venom and that he, need, that he may even be alive somewhere, but Rebecca Yarrow dismissed the theory that he's alive somewhere. Maybe Violet's mom sacrificed and gave birth to Violet and now she's half Venom. And what would that mean for her and Zayden? Being left on such a cliffhanger, I know, let so many of you down. I love it. I think that before the last like 100 pages or so, I was really ready to like be really hateful and spiteful about this book and how I had to read 600 pages of like, not garbage, but like really get through a lot of it to be able to, you know, finish it. But the ending really saved it. And I was all ready to like not even pick up book three. Now I have to pick up book three. Rebecca Yaros really knows how to nail a ending like that. Like it was just so, so good. So I think I summed it up pretty well on my Goodreads review that I did last night. So I want to read that for you guys before rounding up this podcast. I said, okay, so I finally just slammed this book shut after nearly a month of reading it. And I am so happy to move on with my life. For me, this book was a slog to get through, but those last 200 pages or so finally had me hooked. I thought this review would be a lot more scathing, but now I'm a bit swayed. Starting with part one. This was a tough 300 pages. What saved it was being at Bazgayeth as I enjoyed the whole dark academia aspect and getting to meet the new first years. What I hated was the extreme miscommunication trope between Violet and Zayden. It was so clear Violet was still desperately in love with him, but she wouldn't express her feelings. Can she trust him? Can she not? It was exhausting. If you don't know, I'm not usually a fan of fantasy, but the fourth wing sucked me right in and I loved it. The world building was plenty for me and it was easy enough to understand. For some reason, this book left me reeling. I don't know if I even fully understand what happened with the wards and all of it. There were too many provinces and towns and characters to wrap my head around and it left me bored and confused a lot of the time. And that's also knowing full well the writing of this book is incredibly amateurish. Sorry. Some of the dialogue left my eyes rolling. Maybe that's why it was so hard for me to understand it at times. Part two really did kick it up a notch. I loved the new setting. I loved the spice and romance we were finally getting from Violet and Zayden because they were together and we had the revolution to finally get behind. Zayden all throughout the books was a very spoon worthy and I would have loved more chapters from his point of view, which Rebecca Yaros has said might be coming when we feel like all of his secrets are finally out in the open. Violet can just be insufferable at times, just saying. I'm trying to leave this review as spoiler free as possible, but I will echo what everyone else was saying. That ending was amazing. I was halfway through thinking there was no way I would pick up book three, and now I'm ready for it to come out. If Rebecca Yaros can do anything right, it is make a good cliffhanger ending. I loved the dragons and only wanted more time with them. Taryn was snarky and powerful, and we only got Indarna in part two, though she was amazing as always, and I cannot wait to read more about her. I also loved all the side characters and friends, even if I couldn't keep all of their names straight. Did I love this book? No. Did I hate it? 
No, it was completely in the middle for me. Some days I really enjoyed the parts I read, while other days I was dying to put it down. What I've probably learned from this experience is that fantasy is not my favorite genre. I found my mind wandering on the long paragraphs building the world and the lore of it all and the war but instead waiting for the romance and action. I think this book easily could have been 200 pages shorter, genuinely. Regretfully, I will be picking up book three whenever it comes out. Fourth Wing takes the cake by far, but this was not a complete miss. I am giving this book three stars. So three stars. I thought it was good, but not great. I really did enjoy Fourth Wing quite a bit more. And I know a lot of you are feeling the same way as me. I posted on believe Friday afternoon that my whole goal for the weekend was just to finish Iron Flame because it was such a slog for me to get through. And it was, it was really, really hard for me to get through this book, but that ending did save it for me. And the, so there were some parts that I really loved as I was reading it and some parts that, like I said in my review, I could not wait to put this book down. So that's why it's a three. It's not a complete hate, not a complete love, but it will have me reading book number three. So many of you in my DMs are talking about how sad you are that Zayden is turning Venom. I think that Violet and Zayden are endgame. I don't think there's a reality in which they don't end up together in some way, shape, or form. So I think that we're going to either see like a resurgence of venom in a way where like maybe Violet's a venom and they turn the whole species back to being good. Or like I said earlier, like Violet is able to communicate with the dead and she kills or Zayden kills himself and she brings him back from the dead. Something like that. I think there's a lot, a lot that we don't know. We're not even halfway through this series yet. And I would highly suggest watching or reading the interview with Rebecca Yaros from Entertainment Weekly, the book club discussion, because she reveals a lot and just talks a lot about how she already knows the ending of book five. And it's just crazy that we're not even halfway through. So there is just so much more to unpack. So don't be depressed if you're worried that Violet and Zayden might not be end game together. I have a really strong feeling they will be. I hope I'm not wrong because I really love them together. But we never know. We just have to wait for book three, which officially hasn't been the release date hasn't been announced yet. And Rebecca Yaros did say she was taking a little bit more time in between books this time for her own health, which I completely understand. She released, I think, Fourth Wing in May and then Iron Flame came out in November. So that's a tight turnaround for a 600 page book. And hopefully there might be a little bit more editing this time around. So maybe it's not 600 pages. That's just my own desperate plea. But that is all for today's episode. Thank you all so much for sticking with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I know this was a crazy month and not something I typically like to do, but it just happened. I will be having two episodes, I hope, <laughs> come out in December and be sure to be following me on my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook just to see when those are going to come out and to make sure you can vote for all our book club choices for 2023 and vote in your ranking order. Thank you all so much for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode. Bye guys. Nowadays, trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink. But there are some things that withstand the test of time. And if you're looking for a connection to something timeless, and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace, I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. 
I'm a writer, comedian, and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote, and now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration. I'll give myself a pat on the back for that as well as conversations with actors, writers and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. So please, join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.